Strategic Living with Brian Holmes, episode number 90, Becoming a Cultural Change Agent, an interview with my friend, Oz Hillman. Welcome, everyone, to the program today. My name is Brian Holmes, and you have found the Strategic Living Podcast, where we are all about transforming minds, developing leaders, awakening dreams, activating destiny. And I do believe, as we're going to be talking about today, we can change nations. It is our desire to see you healed, your mind renewed and transformed, and see you discover who you really are and become all that God has created you to be. Going to be an incredible, incredible conversation today. I'm so glad you're here to participate. We're talking to Oz Hillman about becoming a change agent. Let's get started, everybody. Well, I'm delighted that you're with us today on the program. I have been looking forward to this particular episode for some time, and that is because this is a a person that I have admired from a distance for a very long time. In fact, Oz Hillman is someone who has literally pioneered this particular arena of equipping and empowering and helping us to think differently about how we approach ministry. And before I bring him on, I want to share with you a couple of things. Uh, First of all, one of the things that I am personally most passionate about in life is seeing every person engage the thing for which God created them. And that sounds really broad and generic and what have you. But the truth is, is that I believe every person has greatness in them. I believe every person has something that they can contribute by way of influence and power and and transformation to make an impact on society, on cultures, on the various spheres of influence. And I, I just know that you are one of those individuals. For several decades, we've been watching a prevailing mindset, and especially maybe among Christians, but the, you know, the church is the church and everything else is secular. Everything else is off limits. In fact, uh, in our secular society and in governments, for example, we hear a lot about separation of church and state, meaning we don't want Christians or believers or people of moral character to have any influence or any say in how we shape and guide our policies, our our culture, our moral standards, or any of that sort of thing. They, they don't want an opposing viewpoint being a part of the mix. Now, I believe this is an intentional strategy to keep those of us who are Christians, those of us who are what I would call kingdom-minded believers, quarantined in a limited context, which we can just call the, the institutional church, so that we can have our deal going on on Sundays, but we keep our deal on Sundays and we don't uh, allow our opinions or our belief systems or our influence or our expertise to bleed over into everyday life. We, we don't want that stuff in the marketplace. That's what I believe the strategy is, is to keep us from having influence. Well, I believe we need leaders in every sphere of culture, real leaders, moral leaders, leaders with character and integrity and leaders with biblical values, leaders who are willing to speak truth, even if it goes against the grain. 
Leaders that understand that standing up for principles are more important than standing up for popularity. These are important things. Our mission, our mission really, is to mobilize people so that they can take their place in culture, not be quarantined over in some institution somewhere, but to really be in filtrating the culture and administer their leadership that transforms lives, it shapes cultures, it moves things. That's what we're really about. And what we really need is what our guest calls change agents. Today, I have the privilege of interviewing Oz Hillman. Oz Hillman is the president of Marketplace Leaders. It's an organization whose purpose it is to help men and women discover and fulfill God's complete purposes through their work and helping them to view their work as ministry. Formerly, Oz owned an advertising agency, but is now an internationally recognized speaker. He is uh, an author of 14 books. He has a prolific uh, daily email that goes out to thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people called TGIF, Today God is First, has several hundred thousand readers in 105 or more nations. And Oz has been featured on CNBC, NBC, the LA Times, New York Times, so many other national media networks. He is a spokesperson on faith in the marketplace. He is a regular contributor to 1010 Magazine, The Christian Post, Charisma News, and Crosswalk, and others. He is also the president of Aslan, Inc., which provides a leading online faith at work Christian bookstore. And also, you can find out a lot about what he does at TGIF Bookstore. A lot of his books and work is there as well. Oz is literally a pioneer in the area of equipping and empowering entrepreneurs, CEOs, actors, educators, governments, sports stars for one reason. That's for cultural impact. It is my privilege, and it's such an honor right now, to take you to my interview with Oz Hillman. Oz, it is fantastic to have you on the program today. Thanks for being here, man. Brian, so good to be with you. I tell you what, I have been looking forward to this day for a long time. I think in our conversations prior to this one, I've shared with you that I've been following your work and the ministry and the the initiatives that you have put out there the last, gosh, seems like seven or more years. And we have really, uh, even though we've not met and worked directly together, so much of what you're doing uh, is is a kingdom thing, of course, and, and we've been flowing in the same lanes and really focused in the same areas. And it's just an honor to spend some time with someone who is pioneering and trailblazing these kinds of areas. So again, thank you so much for taking out of your busy schedule, man. Oh, you bet, Brian. Well, I want to start and introduce you to our audience by maybe having you share a little bit about your story. You have a profound story and uh, not unlike a lot of people, you've been through a great deal of tragedy and, and trials and and difficult times to come where you are. But tell us a little bit about Oz Hillman and how you got here. Well, Brian, I came to Christ when I was 22 years old. My, I lost my dad when I was 14 to an airplane crash, a uh, family of five children. Um, I uh, wanted to play golf for a living, uh, tried to be a 
professional golfer for three years and uh, went to school on a golf scholarship. That didn't work out. God used that to really draw me into relationship with himself. But um, I ended up going into business, ultimately ended up going into advertising and had an ad agency from 1982 to 1994 in Atlanta. We served uh, American Express and Steinway Pianos and Thomas Nelson Publishers and Parisian Department Stores. So we had a a good client list, a good small ad agency. Things were going very well. I was married, had a daughter. But then in 1994, some things really happened that really changed my world. And I went through what I call the Joseph Pitt. And I'm sure that if uh, any of your listeners uh, have been around long enough, they've probably gone through some form of that. Sure. I know a lot of them went through it in 2008. But uh, mine was uh, 1994, and it ushered it me into a seven-year season of adversity. I uh, ended up uh, losing about a half a million dollars through a, a Bernie Madoff type of scam that uh, was really devastating. And then within three months, I would end up losing 80% of my my uh, ad agency business. Uh, one client stuck me for 170000 and mm. a vice president left and took my second largest account. And then my wife uh, came in one day and said she wanted to separate, and that was devastating. That would end up leading to a divorce three years later. So I was really ushered into this season of adversity that lasted seven years. Um, God restored all my finances at the end of seven years. I met a man two years into the process named Gunnar Olson, the founder of the International Christian Chamber of Commerce. And that was a very – he said, you know, Oss, you have a Joseph calling on your life. It's a marketplace call. And, uh, yeah, you've probably made some mistakes, but what you need to realize is the – call is bigger than your mistakes. And that was a mm. real Kairos moment for me where I walked into that room in Washington, D.C. as a victim for two years of shame and disappointment to the point of uh, understanding there was actually a process going on. And he became my spiritual marketplace father, if you will, at that, that day and still still is today. And um, anyway, um, God began to reveal himself to me. I began writing about some of the experiences I was having. I started writing a daily email devotional called uh, TGIF Today, God is First. And um, that uh, caught on and began to go around the world and is now in 104 nations. And uh, began writing and teaching leaders about how God uses adversity in our lives, how we understand the roots of that adversity, and then really got right in the middle of the whole faith at work movement that began to really develop in the 90s in a more substantial way. And uh, so that's the short story of, uh, of, of the last 20 years. I ended up writing 15 books and uh, traveling to uh, 25 nations. And so God really has uh, turned my valley of Acor, which means trouble, in Hosea 2.15 into a door of hope for me and many others. And so my role is to equip leaders and encourage them in their journey and uh, just help us uh, fan the, the remnant that's still in, the, you know, in the, our nation uh, to help turn our nation back to the spiritual foundations that made it great. That's incredible. You, I, w- I want to go back to something you said because you did such an eloquent job of sharing your story, but you made a statement that I want to go back to just for a moment that where you said, uh, this gentleman said to you that your call 
and your destiny was bigger than your mistakes. How did that play itself out when you heard those words and that in that moment of revelation? How did that impact you, and how did you walk that out? Well, I was I had been raised with quite a bit of shame in my life in, in my early years. It got passed down to my parents, uh, my primarily my mom, and so as a Christian, I I I, I believe that. I carried a lot of performance in my relationship mm-hmm. to God, and uh, and so when I failed uh, in my marriage and then failed in business, I was raised with in a family that uh, my mom, I think, was a byproduct of shame in her family, and she sort of passed that down to me, and I really learned about performance-based acceptance. And so when I failed in my Christian experience where you know, a failed marriage and failed in business, that was really difficult for me. But when Gunnar Olson that day shared with me that, you know, yeah, I may have failed, but I need to realize there's something bigger, uh, that God has a call that's bigger than your failures. That really uh, totally changed me and gave me such a, uh, a sense of grace on my life that allowed me to move forward. And so that was a, a real big moment for me. And uh, I look back to that day as being a real turning point. And I was able to sort of get, you know, pick myself up and allow the Lord to do the work he needed to do in me. That's great. I know in the work that we do, there's a lot of people who disqualify themselves in their own mind because in some way they feel as though the mistakes they've made, uh, the failures that they've experienced somehow you know, toss them to the curb. They're no longer qualified to pursue destiny, to pursue their calling, to pursue their assignment. And I, I really appreciate your transparency in helping us to know that that's not the case, that God, uh, the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. And he is just waiting on us to get up, get healed and move on. And uh, that's fantastic. Let, let's talk a little bit about just overall religion and how we've missed it. And I'm not being critical. I'm just observing that Somehow, as it relates to the marketplace, as it relates to ministry, as it relates to influence in the various spheres that we've missed it philosophically, where did we turn the corner and and take this detour and miss understanding that our place was actually in the marketplace? Well, I think uh, Os Guinness, another Os, <laughs> uh, wrote a great book called The Call years ago, and uh, I think he did a good job in helping understand the history of where we went wrong. And he talks about 300 AD, which is called, he calls it the Catholic distortion, and where we began a dualism in the church. We said this is spiritual and this is not spiritual. And so we began to really create this wall of divide. And then in uh, uh, 1200 AD, something called the Protestant distortion came along, and that's where we said that work equals vocation versus a calling. We further secularized it, and that's where people began to feel like second-class citizens in the marketplace. We didn't feel like we were as spiritual as those that were in vocational ministry, and uh, as a result, uh, we took on this second-class citizen perception of ourselves, and uh, we began to hear uh, that you know, when we work for money, that that's not spiritual uh, until there's a building program, then it's really spiritual. <laughs> right, exactly. But uh, 
anyway, so I think that that was that's been with us for so many hundreds of years that it's so entrenched in our culture that we uh, we have bought into that, and so it's been. You know, I think in the last 15 years, we've we've done pretty good at uh, dismantling that, but we've still got a long way to go with that. Let's talk about the seven mountains or the seven spheres of cultural influence, obviously something that you talk a lot about. In fact, uh, a group that we study with and do life with here in the Dallas area, we're going through your change agent course right now, which we'll talk more about in a little bit. But the seven mountains, how important are they really? How do they shape culture? How do they actually... Uh, have this such a, a primary role in shaping a generation? Well, about 10 years ago, I realized uh, that we in the body of Christ have wrongfully believed that if we just had more Christians in the culture, we could change the culture. And that's simply a faulty premise because uh, if you look at, uh, say, a nation like Nigeria, that some say 60 to 70 percent uh, of the people there are. Christians, and yet it's one of the most corrupt nations in the world. That's because the leadership, which controls most everything, is corrupt. So what we see is that it only takes 3 to 5% of a leadership to actually shift a cultural mountain. You know, and the seven mountains we talk about are business, government, arts and entertainment, family, religion, uh, did I say media and arts and entertainment? Anyway, the, these are seven areas that, in business, they these areas are what define the culture. And whatever goes on in culture, you can see that these areas are pretty much driving it. And so, what we realize is that, you know, a great case study is the gay rights movement that has um, effectively shifted the public's opinion of their issue uh, over the last ten to fifteen years by going into media, arts and entertainment, and education, now government. And they've shifted everything from being a moral issue to being a civil issue. And here you've got less than 2% of the population dictating to the 96% of the population. And uh, because they're passionate, they're well-funded, they're unified, and they have a strategy. And we don't see that in the body of Christ. And so as a result, we're losing the culture war and the uh, messaging war. That's amazing. So what is the strategy? How do we begin to to move toward a different philosophy and approach? Uh, we don't need more Christians in the world, so to speak, but we do need leaders who have a kingdom mindset and philosophy, assuming their rightful roles in leadership, I guess is what I hear you saying. Yeah, I think people need to understand their own call. They need to understand um, the role that we play in society and in business. And, you know, I think that Jesus showed us the model very clearly. He said that, uh, you know, he came to bring heaven on earth. Mm -hmm. And so many times uh, the people he met, he solved a problem in their life. You know, Peter he had a fishing problem. He solved that as the first problem he solved in his relationship with him. He had a tax problem, told him how to catch more fish. They had a problem feeding 5,000 people. The, uh, the uh, woman at the well had a problem. I mean, every person he comes in contact with, they have some kind of problem that Jesus solved because he saw the Father working, and he simply did what the Father told him to. 
And uh, unfortunately, the church has more become known as a right-wing political action group than a, a people that cares about culture, how to solve problems, and have influence by serving and loving people. Uh, we could turn this thing around overnight if we simply did the core things Jesus taught us to do. Of course, the first thing he said was go preach the gospel. He said, love your neighbor. He said, pray, you know, if my people will humble themselves and then, you know, solve problems and by serving other people. You know, these things are very simple to do, but unfortunately the church uh, is divided and we're so much full of silo building that we, we haven't been very effective. That's great. Uh, I'm going to open a can of worms here possibly, but from the world that I come from, which is uh, for the last 27 years has been the ministry, and I, I mean vocational ministry, church ministry environment, uh, I've met, and this is not an exaggeration, hundreds at least of pastors or people who are ordained or licensed in ministry on some level who were compelled to do so out of the idea that that was, if they sensed a call of God on their life or a drawing into some area of ministry that the only outlet they could really see viable was to become a pastor, to become an assistant pastor, to be a youth pastor, to be you know, some predefined role that our culture has set up within the local church setting. And again, I, I want to say up front, I'm a local church guy. I, I love God's church. I think it's much broader than we've given it credit to be. However, that aside, do you have you seen similarly men and women who become frustrated in those roles because they really are called to the marketplace, but because of cultural pressure within the religious mountain, they've been pressed over into other roles, other functions vocationally that have sort of painted them in a corner, so to speak. Uh, maybe I'm not asking this as clear. I'm trying to walk on eggshells here a bit, but I, I've met so many people who are frustrated. I'd love to hear your input on that and what you would say to them. Well, I think uh, it's a trap for many of us. I think that whenever um, a man or woman in the marketplace comes to know Christ and and we are often very passionate about our decisions and we want to be all in. And uh, just like um, I think of William Wilberforce, who was 28 years old, came to Christ, and uh, he thought uh, after he came to Christ, well, he must be supposed to be a pastor. Well, fortunately, John Newton, the guy who led him to Christ, who was a former slave owner, said, no, you are called to politics. And he had the wisdom to impart into this guy mm. an understanding of the spiritual nature of his call in politics. And unfortunately, uh, because of this uh, generational uh, stronghold of uh, duality or, or division of sacred-secular, uh, we begin to look at life through those lenses that one thing is spiritual, one thing is not. And so uh, it's been very difficult for some people. I, I fell for that myself. I actually went to a school to be a pastor of a church, I actually went and was a pastor uh, assistant pastor to church in in my early twenties, and fortunately I got fired because I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't wired to be a pastor, and and uh, so it's it, but it's a trap that I think that um, it's it's out of a good motive that people want to do things, but it's not biblical, 
you know, and I like what Paul said. Uh, he says, you know, stay in the place where you were when God first called you. Mm. And uh, Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, do unto the Lord. It is the Lord Christ you are serving, and therein will you be your inheritance. And so all of life is spiritual. And uh, when we begin to segment life and try to divide it based on what is what we perceive to be spiritual and non-spiritual, the Bible really doesn't teach that. And the Hebrew life for sure feels like all of life is spiritual. That's great. Great, great, great. You mentioned uh, something a while ago, and of course I've read Change Agent and been through the course. You talk about really what the world needs are influencers who can solve problems. What do you mean by solving problems? Well, if you think about people like George Washington Carver, who was a a man who should have been a victim to his circumstances, uh, sold in, his mother was sold into slavery. But this guy uh, came to Christ at an early age and had an inventive mind. And uh, God gave him an understanding about agriculture. And he told the farmers, stop planting cotton, you need to start planting peanuts. And of course, uh, that didn't work out so well when he first said that because there wasn't enough demand for peanuts. But then he began to seek the Lord and asked the Lord, Lord, why did you make the peanut? And God gave him 300 uh, marketable products from the peanut, which caused demand for peanuts. And the farmers were able to be successful again. And uh, so here was a situation where a man solved a problem. And uh, I think that in every situation, I believe God's created you and I to solve some type of problem for others. When we solve problems, we begin to have influence. Uh, Culture doesn't care who solves their problem. They just want their problem solved. And if you can start solving their problem, then you'll have influence. And, uh, you know, there's over 300 community transformation initiatives going on in America right now. These are made up of marketplace, church leaders and churches and intercessors with a goal to raise, um, with a goal to have um, uh, influence in the city by solving a problem in the city. Mm. And uh, there are various communities that are having, you know, more success than the others, but they I think that most of them get the idea. They know that they've got to serve the community. Every great business success ever is effectively a result of someone solving a problem. That's right. And, you know, I think the the same principle that I'm hearing you describe here is that if, if those of us who are in the body of Christ could understand our worth, our value, and could look at the problems that the world has and kind of draw from within and say, what what can we do to solve these issues, these problems? What that does is it brings us to the forefront of people's minds and hearts, likability, trust, all these things. And that that's where that influence you mentioned comes in. Uh, you know, you can have a guy who has never been heard of before, but he solves a problem in the marketplace, brings a product to the market that everyone needs, everyone wants, and it solves a problem. And that person, that that year that that comes to bear, their name is known, they're trusted, they're liked, and now you'll see that person on CNN as an expert, and he's, he's invented one product, brought one product to market, but now people want to know, what do you have to say about this, and about this, and about this? Is that kind of what you're describing? 
That's exactly what I'm talking about. And it and you know it doesn't have to be. Um, you can ha- do that on a large scale or a small scale. A secretary can have influence in her company by solving a problem. That's uh, great. I think of uh, I think of the servant girl who was working for uh, I think the king and uh, the general uh, what was it Naaman. Mm-hmm. Uh, he got leprosy, and she told her employer, "Well, there's a prophet who." Uh, has been known to heal, and so he ended up doing that, and and God got gets healed. So she solved the problem. Here she was a a maid basically, and uh, she solved the problem. Do you think her stock went up? Uh, I think so. And uh, so it can be at any level. Uh, you know, Joseph solved the problem for his employer, uh, and uh, as a result, he went from being in the dungeon to being n- number two in the land and uh, started an 81-year career. Wow. You know, this is the amazing thing to me, is that there is a prevailing mindset within the religious sector that uh, you mentioned a while ago about being sort of uh, the the upper class, which is the higher ministry guys, and then the business class being the lower class. But if you if you look at the wealth of, of ideas, the wealth of talent and skills, the the solutions that are sitting right now on church pews, but the prevailing mindset is that there's the church and my spiritual involvement, and then there's you know then I go to work tomorrow and just do my job. Somehow we need to break down that mindset and replace that with this understanding that we are a part of a kingdom that provides a platform for us to bring to bear the agenda of heaven. And the the creator of all things lives in us. And so by our new nature, we are divinely creative. And we, we have things to offer. And we can actually change environments. We can change cultures. We can change uh, the the landscape of the companies that we work for if we can simply accept and embrace that we have answers. We have answers. What would you say to that? Well, that's very true. And I think that um, there's no other institution that gathers the seven cultural mountain leaders than the local church. Every Mm. week, a uh, church leader has the opportunity to equip men and women to go out and change the world. Mm. Uh, The problem is that uh, for many shepherds, they think, wrong about their their flock. They think they're there in order to fulfill the mission of the local church instead of equipping those people in the pew to go out and change the world. And so as a result of that, it becomes a focus on how to get them to do my bidding inside the four walls of the local church instead of equipping them to go out and really be change agents in their world. And uh, the pastors who really get that uh, will see an incredible growth in their local congregations because those people will, for the first time, feel affirmed in their own call. And uh, a lot of pastors think that if they actually did that, they would lose volunteerism and lose income into their churches. But the exact opposite actually happens. And uh, so there has to be a shift in thinking about the 
the church in the marketplace versus the church inside the four walls. There are two. There are two of them. But if we give too much focus on the church inside the four walls, it becomes uh, kind of looking at your belly button kind of thing instead of really <laughs> affecting the world. You you just hit the nail on the head, Oz, and I, I know you know that, but I want to just kind of expound on that for a minute or two here. Uh, as a pastor, someone who has pastored a church and been in ministry on a staff of a church for much longer than I was a senior pastor even, uh, what you just said is, in my estimation, the fundamental challenge that we have uh, with our current church model is that it's very, and I use this word carefully, but it's it's more of an incestuous internal focus as opposed to seeing that our job as five-fold ministry gifts, and someone listening may not have a clue what I'm talking about there, but some will, uh, that our job is very single-focused. It is to equip the the people of God for the administration of their assignment, wherever that is. And so the church, the local church, in my estimation, was always supposed to be having one focus. And that wasn't growing numbers. It was equipping people. And, man, that right there is one of my uh, big soapboxes because I believe that if we can get that right, then in a generation we can fundamentally change the world we live in. Absolutely. Wow. Well, let me ask you this, and I, I'm going to go ahead and open this can of worms too. As you are proclaiming this message, as I have been for a number of years, what is the response that you get from the the church sector? What what are you hearing from pastors, from leaders? Uh, I know on the one hand, I would expect there's probably a great hunger and desire to see what we're talking about come to pass. On the other hand, I, I might expect there's some pushback and some resistance. Well, I think there's... Um a lack of embracing one because they to- don't totally understand what we're trying to say to them mm-hmm. and then how to do it so that it sus- has a sustainable process. Um, so so many times what a church will do is they'll add another program. This is our faith uh, at work program to marketplace people rather than making it part of the DNA of the entire congregation to say that your work is your ministry and how to help them do that. And so we we have uh, created actually a book to help church leaders understand how to equip the church in the workplace. Uh, and then uh, we have the Change Agent course and other uh, equipping tools to help that. But uh, I, unfortunately, you know, there's a lot of control at the top uh, and they have so many things pulling at them that unless they see a model that's being experienced and uh, successful in other places, they tend to be, gravitate toward those church growth models that so many churches teach and, you know, you know church uh, growth experts try to teach them. Now, the book you mentioned for pastors and church leaders, is that Faith at Work? Yeah, it's called Faith at Work, What Every Pastor and Church Leader Should Know. I want to encourage, I have a lot of pastors uh, that listen to this podcast, and I would encourage you to to get a copy of this book. And I'm on the website right now, and I can see that uh, the paperback is, man, you're giving that book away, brother, $5. Wow. And uh, the ebook I think, is seven ninety nine. Just invest in that. Understand it. Uh, apply yourself. Ask the Holy Spirit to 
to give you an understanding of what it is that we can do as leaders to equip other people. Uh, so Faith at Work, you can find that at uh, the TGIFbookstore.com, and we'll talk more about the websites here in a moment, but thanks for that. Well, another thing, Oz, before we begin to wrap up here is a number of years ago, just a few years ago, of course, you wrote the book Change Agent. You have, you've mentioned the Change Agent course, and I know uh, I've been involved in a community called the Change Agent Network now for a couple of years. Tell us about those uh, respectively and, and how someone can get involved in immersing themselves in this culture, in this mindset. Yeah. Uh, when people first come in contact with, uh, with us, we recommend that they start reading uh, my daily devotional called TGI of Today, God is First. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a free devotional. There's a couple of apps that uh, you can access it that way. But if the listeners go to todaygodisfirst.com, they can see that. And that's just a daily email to encourage men and women how to integrate their faith life and their work life, understand how to co- overcome adversity in their life. And that's the devotion that goes to 104 nations. The second part is if you want to go deeper in equipping and training, we recommend people take a look at our, uh, our, our uh, change agent network. And they can find information there at become a changeagent.com become a changeagent.com what that is is an online learning center equipping center has all of our training that on there our video powerpoints has a weekly teaching newsletter has over 7 years of uh teleseminar interviews just like what you and I are doing here we've done uh, interviews with top leaders across the country for the last seven years, twice a month, and uh, you can access all of those. So it's a great place to connect with other leaders and just uh, really get equipped if you're a person who really wants to grow in understanding of the things we're talking about. So tap into the devotional, TGIF. Thank God it's Friday, I guess is what it is. Uh, Actually, today God is first. <laughs> I was just messing with you. <laughs> I was even going to catch that. Oh, that's funny right there. Every time I see TGIF come into my email inbox, I just chuckle because it's it's not Friday, but it's today God is first. So I love that. Uh, and then pastors, faith at work for sure. And then I personally can vouch for the change agent course as well. Uh, we have a group of folks going through that right now, and it is absolutely powerful, very systematic, uh, very simple to grasp, yet it will move the earth under your feet and help you to see uh, how we've developed our culture, how you can discover your particular place in life, in ministry, in the marketplace, and how you can effectively go out and engage that and then all the resources, I highly encourage it. By the way, you have another devotional that I am addicted to, and it is a part of my morning routine every single day, and that is listening to the Father's voice. Talk about that for a moment. Yeah, last uh, last year I came out with a new devotional called Listening to the Father's Heart, and uh, it was something I wanted to do in losing my dad when I was 14. I had some wounds from that, and it took me quite a while to really come an understanding of what that healing was about. And uh, so this devotional is written uh, in a different way. It's written from first-person father to the son. And each day there's a message about what God would say to a son or daughter 
you know, about their life and how his view of things really is. And it just consistently expresses what the scripture expresses about the nature of the Father. That's fantastic. I tell you what I what's nice about that devotional is it's it's the Lord speaking to you, and I'm talking about not just Oz Hillman, but it's it's written in a way where you're hearing the heart of the Father speaking to you. And uh, I, it's great to read a devotional. Here's a few facts. Here's a few scriptures. You know, hope that's an encouragement to you. But uh, I love the way that you captured what you were hearing Dad say to you, and how it communicates so powerfully to all of us who are reading that along with you now as a part of our devotions every day. It's powerful, absolutely powerful. My wife and I both, by the way, uh, partake in that every single day. Yeah, well, people can get that. That's a free email devotional. Just go to marketplaceleaders.org to receive that, marketplaceleaders.org, and they can uh, sign up for that. Well, let's wrap up by, I want to make sure everyone knows where to go. And by the way, all the links to all of the websites, all the devotionals, I'll make sure to have all of those in our show notes to uh, for you. So you can just go to brianholmes.com, go to this episode, and you'll just be able to print out all the notes, hit the hyperlinks, and go straight to where you need to go. Many of you are driving or jogging while you're listening to this podcast, but we want to make that resource available to you. But Oz, overall, how can people connect with you? What's the best place for them to connect with you on an ongoing basis? Well, I say our core website is market will lead them to all other sources and there's a search box if they need to search anything on the site so marketplaceleaders.org marketplaceleaders.org fantastic well oz uh you are uh, a hero to me and i mean that sincerely you have blazed a trail you are faithfully and steadily uh, pouring into the lives of so many people like myself who are who want to be a part of this movement so i want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for one being who you are and answering the call and being such a great example to all of us who are out here uh, wanting to make an impact in this life. And uh, thank you again for being on the program today. Well, thank you, Brian. And thank you for all that you're doing to get the message out and, and uh, being a leader and, and, you know, being a communication uh, voice out there for this. That's a pleasure, man. God bless you. And thank you again for being here. All right. Take care. Well, I know that this episode is going to be one for the record books. And I want you right now to go to brianholmes.com forward slash 090. You're going to find the show notes there, information specifically about how you can connect with Oz. Marketplaceleaders.org is probably the best place to do that. Marketplaceleaders.org. But you'll find all the links, all the show notes, all the information about Oz and his work right there at his website and also at our website, brianholmes.com forward slash 090. Hey, engage with us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Google Plus. Let us know what you thought about the episode. Uh, Add your thoughts in there. What is God calling you to do where you are today? I believe it's something big. I believe it's something great. Well, in July, well, excuse me, I'm sorry. This, This is close to July. In the next couple of months, we're going to be launching our Strategic Living Institute monthly seminar series here in Dallas, and we're going to be launching more information about that pretty soon, but check out brianholmes.com forward slash seminars 
to find out more about that. BrianHolmes.com forward slash seminars. You can find out more about our coaching program as well at our website. If you'd like to have us speak at your church or conference or event, feel free to check us out, BrianHolmes.com forward slash speaking. Well, please subscribe to the weekly email updates if you haven't done that already. Also to the podcast and iTunes and share this with somebody that you love and care about. Let them know what's happening here on the Strategic Living Podcast. Well, till next time, I believe in you. You are born for greatness. Let's go make a difference. Let's go make an impact, everybody.